Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, May 14th, 2017, on the basis of Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. I don't know if you realize this, but there is a fundamental difference between the two hymns that we've sung this morning. The one right at the beginning of the service and the one that we just sang, the hymn right before the sermon. You perhaps noticed that one of those hymns was a little bit more stately and traditional, you might say. The other hymn was a little bit more upbeat and a little bit more modern, you might say. But that's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm, I'm talking about something else entirely. You see, both of those hymns spoke about Christ in terms that are fairly typical and fairly familiar. Both of them referred to Christ as light and life and peace. But one of them did so in terms that are purely subjective and personal. Christ is my light, my life, my peace. The other one, however, did so in terms that were objective and universal. Christ is the world's light, the world's life, the world's peace. In fact, it said Christ and none other. Now, from the Christian's perspective, both of those are good and bo both of those are important. But from the non-Christian's perspective, not so much. You see, I would guess that just about everyone in our world today would be perfectly fine with the people in this room singing the words of that last hymn. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. They'd say, sure, if you want to go ahead and worship Jesus, if you want to believe those things about Jesus, go ahead, more power to you. But Christ is the world's light and the world's life and the world's peace, Christ and none other. Now you're telling me what I believe is wrong and what you believe is right. Now you're telling me that Christ has to be all of those things for me too. You're telling me that Jesus is the one and only way to salvation? I'm sure you're aware that that's where the, the conversation takes a little bit of a turn. You see, we, we live in what is called a pluralistic society, one where everyone does and everyone is free to believe whatever they want, which, by the way, is something that we as Christians should be immensely thankful for. But as Christians living in a pluralistic society, we are very often presented with basically two options for how we can approach that society, for the stance and the posture that we can take toward a society that is pluralistic. The first option is to get with the program, to realize that, that we can believe what we want to believe, and other people ought to be able to believe what they want to believe, and never once should anyone imply that, that someone else should believe as they do. That's one option. The other option, if we choose it, the option of implying that what we believe is right and what others believe is wrong, the option of implying that others should stop believing what they believe and should start believing what we believe, well, we're told that then by definition, we are arrogant, we are exclusive, we are condescending and oppressive and a whole host of things that are probably much, much worse. Those are our two options, so we're told. Now, I'm pretty confident that I could present a pretty convincing argument to the contrary, both on the basis of logic and on the basis of Scripture, and yet with the words in front of us this morning, we have something much better. We have proof to the contrary. 
we have two real live human beings, two apostles named Peter and John, who held to the very same Christian beliefs that you and I have, who lived in a society that was no less pluralistic than the one that, that you and I live in, and yet they demonstrate that the two options with which we are so often presented as the only two options are not, in fact, the only two options. Peter and John instead demonstrate the right posture toward a pluralistic society. And as we look at the verses in front of us this morning, we'll first of all see what that right posture is, and then secondly, we'll see where that posture comes from. So one day, Peter and John were at the temple for worship when they came across a man who had been lame from birth. Using the power of Jesus, they healed him, they enabled him to walk again, which, as you can imagine, caused quite a commotion and gave them the opportunity to once again speak in front of a large group of people. They used that opportunity once again to preach the central message of Christianity, the fact that Jesus had lived, Jesus had died, and Jesus had risen from the dead. But by this point, the Jewish religious leaders were getting a little bit tired of everything that the apostles were saying, and so they put a stop to what Peter and John were doing. They arrested them, they had them spend the night in jail, and then the very next day they hauled them in to stand trial to testify in front of a group of men known as the Sanhedrin, basically the equivalent of our Supreme Court. So how would Peter and John respond? What kind of posture would they take toward a group of people who obviously believed very differently from the way that they did? Well, again, conventional wisdom suggests that there are basically two options. You can either back down, keep your beliefs to yourself, or you can lash out. The disciples demonstrate neither one. On the one hand, they certainly didn't lash out, which, which was truly remarkable when you think about it. I mean, they had been treated so unjustly and so unfairly. They had been put in jail and held overnight without any formal charges being brought against them. On top of that, they were now standing before the very same group of men before whom Jesus had stood trial and by whom Jesus had been condemned. And yet in their voices and in their words, there is no anger. There is no condescension or lashing out. No, they show nothing but kindness and respect, even honor to these men for the position that they are in. So they didn't lash out, but at the same time, they didn't back down, which again is truly remarkable when you think about it. You rewind this story a couple of months, and that's exactly what these same two apostles had done. The night of Jesus' arrest, John, along with the rest of Jesus' disciples, fled and Peter famously denied not only that he, he was a believer in Jesus, but that he even knew who Jesus was. Just a few months ago, Peter was standing face to face with the servant girl of the high priest. In today's terms, we'd think of the person who brought the high priest his morning coffee and bagel each and every day. And he couldn't stand in front of her, look her in the eye and tell her that he knew who Jesus was. Now he's standing in front of the man himself. A man who had already demonstrated that if he wanted somebody put to death, he could make it happen. And yet Peter and John do not flinch. They not only once again assert that Jesus had risen from the dead. They do much more than saying that that's what they believe. They said all of Israel needs to wake up and realize the very same thing. So they were assertive without being arrogant. They were bold without being bullies. They held to their convictions without even a hint of condescension or intimidation. 
This, friends, is the right posture toward a pluralistic society. So how does it compare to yours? See, the real question in front of us this morning is not so much can we mentally come to terms with the fact that a Christian can, in fact, insist that Jesus is the only way to heaven without being a total jerk about it. Really, the question is, are we, are the people in this room letting the world around us know that Jesus is, in fact, the only way to heaven without being total jerks about it? Or do we let a pluralistic society convince us to keep that faith to ourselves. To kind of have the attitude, I'm glad that I can believe whatever I want to believe, but I'm just going to let other people do the same. If so, not only does that take a pretty cavalier approach to the eternal salvation of others, think about the implication that that has for your own faith. If your faith in Jesus really is strictly this personal and subjective thing, then what happens when your personal and subjective feelings and opinions and views and experiences change? What happens when your faith in Jesus doesn't do for you what it once does or work for you the way it once did? The natural implication is that that faith in Jesus will eventually be crowded out of your life and maybe you'll even try something else. Or on the flip side, if you, if you don't back down, do you instead lash out? Do you take a sinister pride in not only letting people know how right you are, but just how foolish they are for being wrong? Are our words laced with condescension and anger and intimidation and completely absent of love and compassion and patience and a desire to listen and understand. Again, not only does that violate about every single command that Jesus ever gave about how we're supposed to treat other people, think about the implications for your own faith. It is virtually impossible for the same person to be arrogant, proud, and self-righteous toward other people and not have that very same attitude in their relationship with God. See, it's not so much that the, the posture that these two apostles, Peter and John, demonstrated in front of the Sanhedrin, it's not so much that that posture was, was unique or surprising. It's that it's really, really difficult. Those two options with which we are so often presented are so easy to fall into, either to back down or to lash out. So how do we change that? Where does the right posture toward a pluralistic society come from? Well, here we are five weeks into the season of Easter, and so what I'm about to say shouldn't come as one bit of a surprise. When it comes to having the right posture toward a pluralistic society, everything starts with Easter. These apostles, Peter and John, once again, use this opportunity in front of the Sanhedrin to proclaim Jesus' resurrection, as, resurrection from the dead as a real historical fact. That was no different from the opportunities that they had used to witness before. But what made this one a little bit unique is their quotation of that Old Testament psalm, Psalm 118, the psalm that we read earlier. They stand in front of the Sanhedrin and say that Jesus was the stone you builders rejected which has now been made the cornerstone. So picture a builder. 
getting ready to build a house, looking for just the right stones that are going to serve as the foundation and the walls for that building. And the builder comes across a stone that, that really doesn't look like it's going to do the job. It's badly misshapen. It looks like it has some cracks in it. It looks like as soon as you put any amount of weight on it, it's going to crumble to pieces. And so the builder takes that stone and immediately dismisses it, immediately rejects it, immediately throws it out. Peter and John were saying to the Jewish leaders, that's exactly what you did to Jesus. But the second half of that verse now says that that very same stone has now become not just a stone in the building, but the cornerstone of the building, the most important stone in the entire building, the stone from which every other stone gets its position and its purpose, the stone without which the entire building crumbles and falls. So yes, you Jewish leaders, they were saying, cast out, rejected, dismissed Jesus, but God has made Jesus the cornerstone of his church by raising him from the dead. Now, how does that help us have the right posture toward a pluralistic society? Well, let's think about this. If Jesus really is the cornerstone of the building, it means, as the apostles went on to say, that salvation can be found in no one else. Jesus is, in fact, the one and only way to heaven. And that will inevitably have an impact on our posture toward the society around us. We will inevitably want people to know that message for their eternal salvation, and so we won't back down. But on the other hand, we won't lash out. Because think about how Jesus became the cornerstone of the church. It wasn't by lashing out. It wasn't by coming to this world and through violence and force and aggression simply trampling his enemies underneath his feet. No, it was actually by surrendering to and yielding to the violence and force and aggression that was carried out against him. So as we take the message of Jesus to the society around us, it won't be through force. It won't be with anger or intimidation. In fact, we will naturally expect and naturally yield to the very same things that Jesus received from the world around us. Knowing and trusting, just as Jesus did, that our final verdict, our final assessment, our final endorsement doesn't need to come from the society around us, but rather comes from God. See, I, I think when people hear Christians say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, I think they, pick, they picture a dozen different, very similar religions, very similar options for how a person can make God happy and get to heaven. And they picture us Christians looking at those dozen similar options and just saying, you know what? 11 of these are worthless. 11 of these are garbage. This one, our one, is the only one that is right and is the only true way to salvation. In reality, Christianity offers not only a salvation, but a way to salvation that is completely different from any other. Not only is Jesus the way to salvation, but the way in which Jesus is the way to salvation is completely different from anything else that any other religion offers. He has become the cornerstone through weakness, through rejection, through defeat, ultimately through death on a cross. Let me try and illustrate this difference by, by referencing something I heard from another preacher this past week. So a pluralistic society comes and says, you Christians can't go around saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I mean, don't you think that good people, good, honest, hardworking people from any religion 
can end up in heaven someday. This preacher suggested responding, let's assume for a moment that that's true. That good people from any religion, no matter what it is, will end up in heaven someday. Granted. That still leaves us with a very important question to answer. See, we've decided, we've determined where all the good people are going. But the question that remains is, what about the bad people? Where is the religion? Where is the faith? Where is the salvation that gives hope to the bad people? Christianity is the only one. Jesus is the only one who gives hope to the murderers and the terrorists. He's the only one who gives hope to people who prey on the innocent and take advantage of the vulnerable. He's the only one who gives hope to people who constantly and consistently push God to the back pages of their life and push God out of their, the center of their heart and of their life. He's the only one who gives hope to people who are constantly self-centered toward others, who constantly lose their temper with their spouses and their patience with their children. Jesus is the only life, the only light, the only peace for bad people. Which, of course, means, by the way, that Jesus is, in fact, the world's light, the world's life and the world's peace. Because, as it turns out, bad people are the only kind of people there are. Friends, how can you and I have the right posture toward a, a pluralistic society? It's by believing that. By standing on that. By realizing that our faith in Jesus does not make us better, does not make us superior to anyone. In fact, our faith in Jesus is nothing else than realizing that we are simply one of a world full of bad people for whom Jesus was willing to come and be rejected. One of a world full of bad people for whom God has now declared Jesus' work to be the complete and finished price for our salvation. Stand on that. Make that your foundation and your posture toward the society around you will be just right. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.